I forgot to uh, make a change here with my PowerPoint, so I need to do that, especially since we didn't get all the way through the lesson uh, this morning. We'll continue talking about Elijah and lessons from, from Elijah this evening, and he's a man with a nature like ours, as we've already read. Before we do that, I'd like to, to encourage you and to thank you. Uh, we had a couple of folks visit with us today, and uh, the, the, the comments were just incredible of the congregation here. And um, the, the testimony, the lessons that you teach, the things that you show about being a Christian and about being a church uh, were, were just, just absolutely amazing and, and heartwarming to hear, and I appreciate that so much. You know, when we talk about evangelism, a lot of times the first thing we talk about is we have to be prepared as a congregation to receive people into our midst so that we can be the influence that we should be and so that we can teach them. And uh, quite frankly, uh, there's been a few places I've been. It's, you, the, the church just isn't ready for that, and this church certainly is, and I appreciate that, that so much as we continue to work together. And Lord willing, as he blesses us to have more visitors come our way so that we can be a positive impact on them. So we began this morning talking about that Elijah is a man with a nature like ours, and we spent about 10 minutes as Emerson read for us 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. And let me remind you just very briefly that the, the word Elijah, the name of the great prophet, means Yah is God. That Jehovah is our God, and it's not Baal or any others, the Asherah, as we read about in these two chapters. And you'll remember that God punished Israel because of their sin and brought about this drought which resulted in a famine, and that lasted for three and a half years. That over the course of this time that Jezebel, Ahab's wife, incited him to evil, and that he led the children of Israel astray, and that she did her very best to annihilate the prophets of God from the face of the earth. But Obadiah, a man we read about who was apparently very high-ranking in the government of Ahab, and he had hidden 100 prophets in a cave and fed them bread and water. Elijah had prayed that it would not rain by the will of God. And then three and a half years later, as commanded by God, he prayed once again, and it did rain once again. And so Elijah is a man with a nature like ours, and there's many lessons that we can learn. One lesson we talked about this morning, that there is a price to pay for being a child of God and delivering the message that that he would have us to deliver. And I want to begin this evening in considering that God uses people who are strong in faith. Now we're not going to take time to read the historical narrative over and over again, but remember that, that Elijah was sent to Zarephath, a city of Incited, and there was a widow there who provided for him according to the commandment of God. Now Elijah got to the, the city of the widow and, and saw that she was gathering sticks there. And he asked for water and some bread. And the woman said that she was gathering the sticks so that she could cook one final meal for herself and her son. And then they were going to die. 
Elijah told her not to fear, but to do as he said, and that they would not run out of flour or oil during the droughts. And she did as he commanded. And the, the flour and the oil did not run out. Now it took somebody special. A lady who was about ready just to go and to die with her son. She had given up on life. Things were that hard and that difficult. She did not see any other way. But when the command of the Lord came to her, she obeyed. It took a very special person, a person of faith, to rise above the adversities of life, to believe in God that this thing thought to be impossible was going to happen. If you would, turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 4 because Jesus talks about this woman. And I find it very interesting to notice the lesson that Jesus teaches through the life of this woman hundreds of years later. In Luke chapter 4 and beginning in verse 25. Here Jesus had begun his public ministry and... Uh, but by those with whom, around whom he had grown up, uh, they did not pay attention to him. And uh, so he says, says this, verse 25. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. When the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And what's significant about this is, Elijah was in Israel. Israel was a large country. And yet he was not sent to any of the Israelites. He was sent to a Gentile city, to, we suppose to be, a Gentile woman. None of the Israelite widows had the faith to overcome, to believe, to trust as this Gentile woman. And so Elijah was sent out of his own country. Let me suggest to you a large lesson that we can learn is that Jesus and God use people to do their will who have faith to work and obey. And if we are those people, I believe that we are, if we are those people, God is going to use us and God is using us now. We may not understand everything that God is doing. Perhaps the woman in Zarephath did not understand all that God was doing, only that there was this terrible time and there was this drought and she was ready to die, but because she had this faith to obey the Lord, he used her for this. And to bring about his will in his way in his time. And perhaps she did not understand all the details of this. And her son dies. And there's all sorts of, of distress with all of that. But yet she had the faith to be used by God. And there are many other scriptures we could talk about. 
and some within this short series of lessons from these two chapters that we are going to talk about. That if we have this faith to obey God and to rise above adversity, we know that God is using us to accomplish His will, although living in the present day, we may not know what that is because it's not been revealed. God oftentimes uses unlikely folks. The apostles were untrained and uneducated. And the religious leaders of the day looked down upon them and scoffed. Those religious leaders did not have the faith to be used by God. But these men who were simpletons in their day had that faith. And God used them. The brethren specifically to whom the book of Revelation and the great tribulation was written to. Severely persecuted. Probably not understanding the will of God that was to be brought about and the message to the world that would be sent out. Yet had the faith to die in obedience to their Lord. For those who have this faith, not only does God use them, not only can they be assured of God working in their lives, but they are also blessed. There was no widow in all of Israel blessed as this Gentile woman in Zarephath who was about ready to die because she had no food, enough food for one last meal and was ready to die with her son if you can imagine holding your child and starving to death together. That's what she was prepared to do. And certainly there were other widows in Israel who did the same. But this woman, because of her faith, was blessed by God above all of those others. And her food did not run out until after the drought was over. Back in Luke chapter 4 and now verse 27, Jesus pulls up another example of faith, and that is Naaman. And he says in verse 27, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them were cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. Again, there were none in Israel who had such faith. Although Naaman had his problems and he had his difficulties, and at first he did not want to obey the commandment of the Lord to go and to dip seven times in the Jordan. But finally through his servant, he came to his senses and he obeyed the commandment of the Lord and he was blessed. There were many in Israel and they were not blessed. They did not have faith to go to Elisha, the man of God, and to ask what they should do and to obey the command, and they were not blessed. As those who have the faith, the faith of God, to be his servants in his plan, in whatever he chooses, in the way he chooses, and in the time that he chooses, we are blessed. As we talked about this morning, the blessings may not be the physical blessings. 
The persecutions may be great and they may be severe. But Jesus says rejoice for your reward in heaven is great. And we are blessed above all others. God uses people who have this faith and he blesses them above all others. Another lesson I believe that we can gain from our study of Elisha in 1 Kings 17 and 18 is that God asks us to do difficult and challenging things. And some of those things are dangerous. I'm not advocating, I'm not promoting doing dangerous things. But as we grow and as we mature, as we become those who are leaders in the Lord's church, as we actively take the gospel out, we sometimes will find ourselves in dangerous situations. I think once again of Brother Jerry Flack and his trip to Mexico and seeing the pictures there and realizing the circumstances there, and they were dangerous. Remember in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verses 1 through 16 that God commanded Elijah to go and show himself to Ahab. Remember the circumstances there. That it had been commanded that all those in the kingdom, if you find a prophet, you report it because we're going to kill that prophet. And now all of a sudden, God says to Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab. And it is a death sentence. If it were not for the power of God. Elijah then went to the one who's Obadiah. And now he pulls one over on him. And he tells Obadiah, go and tell Ahab, Elijah is here. Well, that's okay as long as Elijah is there. But you remember the story that Obadiah said, well, Elijah, I don't want to do that. Ahab is out there trying to kill all the prophets. If I go and tell him I have found you and, and I bring him to you and you're not there, I'm the one who's going to get it. Elijah says, don't worry about that. I'll be here. Don't worry about that at all. Elijah promised to show himself and Obadiah obeyed and he went to Ahab and he reported that he had found the location of Elijah. Elijah took a chance. That God was faithful. Obadiah took a chance that God was faithful. And they were asked to do the very challenging and difficult thing. Turn your Bibles with me over to Matthew chapter 23. If you can put yourself in the disciples' shoes for just a second. In Matthew chapter 23 and beginning in verse 31. And here Jesus was, was issuing these woes to the Jews because of the perverted religious things which they were doing and the difficulty they were bringing upon people through the religious commands that they were given. And he says to them that they would do this beginning in verse 31. So you testify against yourselves that you were sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, fill up then the measure of the guilt of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how will you escape the sentence of hell? 
Therefore, behold, I am sending you prophets and wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Now, let's just pause a second. Imagine you were one of the disciples. Imagine you were one of the apostles, and you're standing there, and all of a sudden Jesus is saying, I'm going to send these people out to you, and you're going to kill and you're going to crucify them. That wouldn't make you feel too good, would it? He's talking about me. He's going to send me. This is what they are going to do to me. That would sort of bring a little eerie feeling upon you, wouldn't it? You would be maybe like Obadiah. I mean, uh, I mean, do I really want to do this? Maybe be like Ananias who said, Lord, you know, I don't want to go there and talk to that Saul guy. I mean, he's out there killing everybody that he can. So the end of verse 34. And some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city so that upon you may, may, uh, uh, may fall the guilt of all the righteous blood shed on the earth, etc., etc., etc. Jesus is saying, look, there are some difficult and some challenging things and some of them are going to be dangerous. Imagine being one of those. Turn your Bibles also with me over to Hebrews chapter 11. And this is the chapter of, of faith and of the great patriarchs and, and, and all the wonderful things that, that they did because their faith moved them to obedience. The, the latter part of the chapter, Hebrews chapter 11 and beginning in verse 32, Again, people of faith, those whom we're imitating, what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weaknesses were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Okay, that all sounds great. That's great. But now what else does he say? Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. There were some people who had a choice that all they had to do was make some sort of confession, do some sort of thing, and they could be released. But they refused to do so even for one moment. And so they were tortured and they were put to death. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, were destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and, and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all the having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. But God had promised something, has promised something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. God asks us to do difficult and challenging things. 
And we are the people who have the faith to rise above adversity, to rise above those things thought to be impossible. To rise above our fear, to rise above our questions and our hesitations to obey God. To be his people, which he uses in his plan to accomplish his will. Although living in the present, we cannot see or understand oftentimes. But walking in the footsteps of Jesus Christ as his disciples and his people. Victorious in our battle and blessed by God, even if it is only in the life to come, rejoicing because of our great reward. Because sometimes the things we're asked to do are dangerous. Not because we like danger, not because we want to be put to death, but because those things sometimes are just dangerous. To speak the truth in love and to give it offense for the hope sometimes costs. I was working in Leesburg, Florida, and we were meeting with a salesman. We were getting ready, trying to find an appropriate accounting package and inventory control package. And a salesman had come up from Tampa to Leesburg, and he was making his presentation. And he was talking with me as I was vetting all of these things. And I forget, I cannot remember, but he wanted to make a point. And he said this, it may cost me the sale, but I'm going to tell you this. In other words, it may cost me dearly because it's something you may not want to hear, but I'm going to tell you anyway because you need to hear it. He took the, the chance to pay the price to lose the sale. To tell the truth. And that happened like 20 years ago when I've not forgot it yet. Because he, because he had the guts to pay the price. And we all, as God's children, we have the guts to pay the price because we have the faith. I heard a story of a lady converted in China. And you know how stories can sort of change over time and and as they're passed down from person to person to person. But it sounds plausible. The lady was converted in China. But those who were over there preaching, they sort of had to come over back and forth. They stayed on some other, in some other country and would just get over there as they could. And they lost track of her over time. But one time they were back over there once again. And they found this lady who was high up in the government. At least when they had taught her the gospel. And they saw her and, of course, wanted to talk to her and find out what happened. And she ran to them and she said, get away from me. Never come close to me again. It was not because she was worried about herself but worried about them. The thoughts are is that she had been taken away by the government and brainwashed because she had obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And anyone associated with her who is a Christian would pay a severe extreme price. Challenging, difficult, and sometimes dangerous to have the faith God would have us to have. 
God asks us to do these challenging things. The result sometimes is harsh treatment. Other times it's great grandeur and glory as we already read in Hebrews chapter 11 of some. If we have this faith as we should have and do these things, we know we are succeeding. There's no question about that. And we know we will be glorified in due time. I want to uh, I want to go on and talk about one other point tonight. I need to switch over to a different PowerPoint because this was really originally thought to be the beginning of tonight's lesson. We have to stand up. You take all the things that we've talked about thus far from the price that we must pay and God using us because of the faith that we have and, and he asks us sometimes to do difficult things and we have to stand up uh, if you would go with me over to 1 Kings 1 Kings chapter 18 and, and, and I want to read just a couple of verses as we talk about this point 1 Kings chapter 18 and verses 17 and 18. And you'll remember that uh, this famine has been going on three and a half years. You'll remember that God has come to Elijah and said, go and present yourself to Ahab. But Elijah has gone to Obadiah and Obadiah has gone to Ahab at all of the risk of their lives and, and, and all the things we've talked about so far. And so now they meet Elijah and Ahab. In 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 17, when Ahab, now this is the king with all the power, with the big army, saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, you troubler of Israel? Verse 18, he said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. Because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and you have followed the bounds. Elijah was one to stand up for the truth. And it didn't matter who it was. It didn't matter how big of an army they had and it did not matter how powerful they were. At a single command, his life could be taken away. But he had the faith to stand up for the truth. And we as the people of God, we stand up for the truth and we stand up for ourselves. We do it in the right way, in speaking the right way, and, ask, and acting the right way. We are not doormats for people to wipe their feet on and to kick about and to use and to abuse. We stand up for ourselves because we stand up for the truth. Turn your Bibles over to Jude chapter 1. I, I want us to look at, at, at just a couple of verses. Uh, I tried to just pick out a few. Jude chapter 1 and verse 3. 
And within this context, maybe just a little bit differently than you thought of before, there is a price. God uses those people who are strong in faith. God asks us to do difficult and challenging things. Part of this is to stand up for the truth. As we sang the song beginning this morning, stand up for Jesus. In Jude chapter 1 verse 3, beloved, while I was making every, every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. To contend. To contend, we must stand up, we must be accounted for. We must speak out. We must share the gospel and share the truth. Sometimes refuting and rebuking with the word of God in the right way. Speaking in the right way and acting in the right way. But to contend and to never give up. And to be a zealous people, fervent and ardent, and not to roll over and play dead as someone have us to, to contend earnestly, to deal with false teachers we talked about this morning, and to keep people from being led astray as we talked about this morning. Turn your Bibles with me over to 2 Corinthians 10. We have powerful weapons in which to do this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And of course our job is to arm ourselves. And we've talked about that in great detail from Ephesians chapter 6. And putting on the whole armor of God. And taking up the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Our feet being shod with the preparation of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3. For though we walk in the Spirit, we do not war according to the flesh. Excuse me, let me have a redo there. <laughs> For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful. For the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. There's a price to pay. God uses us because we have the faith. It's challenging and it's difficult and yes, it sometimes can be dangerous. We contend earnestly we don't give up and we don't give in. And we've prepared ourselves with the weapons of God to fight the good fights. We do not allow people to silence us. We do not stop speaking the truth and getting out the message of the gospel. We vigorously refute false doctrine and challenge false teachers with the truth. The next point talks about challenge, the challenge. Let's look at some illustrations. 
Be turning your Bibles with me over to Luke chapter 11. And let's talk about Jesus for just a second. Again, I want to emphasize uh, constantly over and over again that there is a way in which we we are to speak with grace and with kindness and with love and with reverence, and with gentleness, and we know all of those things. And and, and what we're saying is within that context. Jesus here was accused of casting out demons by the power of Satan, that is, the power of the prince of the demons, Beelzebub. Jesus convicts them of the religious false doctrine with Scripture and also with human logic, which is really cool. We won't take time to read all of that. Then he addresses those who are seeking a sign. Luke 11. Now now look with me at verse 29. As the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah. Now, Now again, we're not Jesus. We do not have the authority of Jesus. But Jesus tells them, you are wicked. He didn't hold back. He didn't pull any punches. He told it the way that it was. Again, we're commanded how we are to speak, with grace and love and truth and reverence and kindness. Then Jesus went to have a lunch with a Pharisee. And he was surprised that Jesus did not wash according to the traditions of the Jewish elders of the day before he ate. I want us to notice he didn't give in to false religious tradition. He didn't try to appease them for one second because they taught that to manipulate people into believing their doctrines. Look at verses 39 and 41. And I want us to notice the strong warning that Jesus gave to those individuals. Verse 39. But the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but inside of you, you are full of robbery and wickedness. You foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give that which is within But give that which is within as charity, and then all things are clean for you. Jesus issued the strong warnings that follow in all of the woes and all of the rebukes. And again, we're not Jesus. We do not have the authority of the Son of God. But I want us to notice Jesus stood up. Jesus was accountable. Then Jesus talks to a lawyer. And the lawyer in verse 45 asked Jesus, Teacher, when you say this, or makes the statement, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. Now again, we have to put it within context. We're not Jesus. We don't have the authority of Jesus. We're not the Son of God. But I want us to notice, the lawyer says, Look, you're insulting me. This is insulting. I'm sorry to say when you speak the truth, you are going to upset and insult some people. Not because you want to be insulting, not because you're trying to be mean, but because that's the way they take it. And yet we cannot allow that to keep us from speaking the truth. 
The fact is, those who are in darkness, when you shed light upon that darkness, they're going to be upset about that. But just because the man thought that he was insulted, that didn't stop Jesus. Look with me at verse 46. But he said, Woe to you lawyers as well, for you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send to them prophets and apostles and some of them they will kill and some of them they will persecute so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. And this was insulting. But I want us to notice from the example of our Lord, again, we're not Jesus, we don't have that authority of Jesus, we're not the Son of God but he contended earnestly for the faith which he himself was delivering. And he stood up and he was accountable. And there was a cost. And it was hard. And it was challenging. And it was difficult. And it was dangerous. But that didn't stop him. Turn your Bibles with me over to Acts chapter 13. And let's look at one of the instances with, with the Apostle Paul. We have this, and, and then we have one more example. Uh, well, a couple more examples. Acts chapter 13. Here the Apostle Paul. And he's on his first missionary journey. And he comes to teach this man. And there's a false teacher there who's using magic to deceive this individual to the point that Paul couldn't teach him. And I want you to notice the events here. Now, again, we're not apostles. We don't have apostolic authority. We are instructed by the Lord in the way in which we are to speak and we are to act with reverence and kindness and gentleness and all of that. But the point is, the apostle Paul didn't back down. He handled it the way that he should handle it. In verse 6, When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for so his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him and said, You are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And the story continues on. Here is the Apostle Paul. He contended earnestly for the faith. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, he knew the man's heart. We're not inspired by the Holy Spirit. We don't know people's heart. But the point is he stood up and he was accounted. There was a cause. There was a price. It was hard. It was difficult. But he stood up for the faith. Go over to Acts chapter 18. And this man was not an apostle. He was not inspired by the Holy Spirit. And this is Apollos. Acts chapter 18 and verse 24. 
And I want us to notice what the Bible says about him. Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in the Scriptures. Brethren, let me take just a moment, and let me emphasize this point right here. As we grow to maturity, we are to be mighty in the Scriptures. And those of you who are young, young in age or young in the faith, you are growing and maturing to be mighty in the Scriptures so that you can do the things we are talking about in contending earnestly for the faith. Verse 25. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. Verse 26, and he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. Now, he was wrong on baptism. He didn't understand that. You remember that Priscilla and Aquila, they pulled him aside and explained more perfectly those things that he did not know. But I want us to see this man not inspired by the Holy Spirit, or he would have known the truth about baptism already, was boldly standing up in the synagogue contending earnestly for the faith. Verse 28. And he powerfully refuted the Jews. Those who were teaching false doctrine, those who were leading individuals away from God, he powerfully. And brethren, I want to, 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 to bring out this example because we talked about Jesus, but Jesus is Jesus. We talked about an apostle, but an apostle is an apostle. But here is one here. He's not Jesus. He's not an apostle. He's not inspired by the Holy Spirit. And he was powerfully refuting. And he could do that because he was mighty in the Scriptures. And brethren, when we are commanded to contend earnestly for the faith... This is exactly what it's talking about. There's a price. It's hard. It's difficulty. Difficult. But this is what we do. I want to leave you as I close tonight with looking at just a few verses from the book of Revelation. And these are people who paid the supreme price as so many others did. These are people, when faced with the choice, whether to shut up and live, they made the choice to speak out and die. Fortunately, in our country, it usually doesn't come down to that. In some other places, it sometimes does. And one day, in a, even our country, in my generation, it could come down to this. Lana Harrison asked me about what it was like 50 years ago. And I said, well, this makes me sound old. And I started telling her about how things were so different. And then Brother Flat was talking about it in Bible class some, and we were commenting a little bit after class that in 50 years we have given our country away. 50 short years. And the way things are looking, we could just open the door for every jihad that wants to come in and persecute everyone who named the name of Christ. And was the zealot they should be. Brethren, don't think that's not possible. Don't think. 
And we too could be in the exact same situation and I want us to look at these people who made the right decision. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17, I want, I want us to see that Satan made war. Made war. Went to war with these brethren, these Christians. And in verse 17, the Bible says, So the dragon was enraged with a woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who kept the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. You know, that's all you got to do to be put to death in some circumstances. Just keep the commandments of the Lord and hold to the testimony of Jesus and you're dead, dude. Sorry I said the word dude in the sermon. <laughs> but that's all that it takes. Look over at chapter 1, verse 9. Christians were persecuted because of that. And here is John, the apostle. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island of Pat Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Why was he persecuted? Why was he exiled? Because of the word of God and his testimony. He refused to be silenced. Look at chapter 6 and verse 9. Chapter 6 and verse 9. Look at these Christians. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. They didn't give it up. They were not silenced. They did not back off for one moment, so they were put to death. They were slain because of their testimony and the word of God. Go to chapter 20. Chapter 20 and verse 4. Here is John is seeing the vision of the, the throne of Christ at the right hand of God. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded. Talk about a bad way to go. Because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and in their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. They did not give in for a second. Not to receive the mark for one moment that their life be made a little easier. Not to bow the knee one time. So the decree from Rome was off with their heads. It can be hard. It can be difficult. Challenging. Price to be paid. One final scripture, and that is chapter 12. Chapter 12. And verse 11. Because now we see the victory of those who had paid the supreme price, those who had been slain, those who had been beheaded, because they did not give up for one second and did not give in even once. Chapter 12 and verse 11. 
And they overcame him, that's the devil, Satan, because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. Now, I want you to notice this. The thing for which they had been slain and put to death is the very thing by which they received the victory. The very same thing. So yes, the challenge and the difficulty and the price to be paid for that testimony which we maintain is that exact same testimony by which we are victorious. And look at the end of verse 11. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. Did not love their life even faced with death. As is intimated here, and as we know from history, many were given the choice. There are many who made the wrong choice. And as we see the persecution let up, and, and those who were not faithful to the Lord, all of a sudden persecution wasn't there. They wanted to come back to the Lord, and the church had to deal. How do we deal with these people who had departed from the faith just to save their life for one second? But these that we read about in verse 11... When it came to making that choice, they made the right choice. If I must die for the testimony of Jesus Christ and the word of God, I shall die. Hard, difficult. Yet we must stand up and be accounted for. Stand up for the word of God and for ourselves as his children. And I believe this is one of the lessons we receive from Elijah. We're going to pause now. We'll come back to the series, Lord willing. In a, maybe in a couple of weeks I'll be going for a couple of Sundays. But some more very good lessons we can, we can glean from Elijah. Let's offer the invitation. If you get your songbooks out. There's a fountain free. Uh, there is a price to pay to be a Christian. Some generations the price is more. Some generations the price is less. For us right now the price is less. Still there's a price. Christian and you're willing to pay the price. What must you do? Simply in obedience to Jesus Christ. Believing in him. Repent of your sins. Just to change. Not to do the wrong but to do the right now. To make your confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that confession for which some were slain and some were beheaded, but to make your confession, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And to be baptized for the remission of your sins, you'll be added to the church. Your sins washed away in the blood of the Lamb. And you'll begin to pay a price. The Lord only knows what it's going to be in the end. But the price is well worth it. Because the victory in heaven is so great we cannot truly imagine what that's going to be like one day. We can help you at all tonight. Won't you come to the front now as we stand and sing?